Hey, what's up? It's Gustavo Ariano, and this is The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Today, we're bringing you a story about a humanitarian crisis that's been unfolding at the U.S.-Mexico borders for years now and that we've covered previously on this podcast. From our friends at Texas Public Radio and the Houston Chronicle, it's a story of an immigration journey like few others, one that extends more than 10,000 miles from the rubble of the 2010 Haitian earthquake through South America, all the way to Del Rio and the Houston suburbs. It's Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022, and today, episode one of the new podcast, Line in the Land. In the first season, Texas Public Radio and the Houston Chronicle explore the human story behind this Haitian immigration journey. We're going to bring you these stories once a week through August, and together, they touch on the topics of our times, from immigration policies to American foreign strategy to the unfulfilled promise to rebuild Haiti. It's September 17, 2021. Under the Del Rio International Bridge on the Texas side of the U.S.-Mexico border, children are crying. It's a 100-degree heat. Thousands of Haitians are corralled in a squalid camp. So you have, you have 14-plus thousand people under the bridge. It is hot. The dust is there. Erlene Joseph has helped Haitians at the U.S.-Mexico border for years. But she says this scene in Del Rio was different. You see the desperation and hopelessness in the faces of the people. And I was separated from them by literally chicken wire. Families sit under the shade of rough shelters made from blankets and giant reeds growing on the Rio Grande River. Others have tents. Some of the Haitian families have already been waiting there, in the impromptu U.S. migrant camp, for days. Helicopters are overhead. The militarized response feels excessive, scary even, especially since the humanitarian need is so apparent and so great. There were no food, no water for the first few days, nothing. A respite center in Del Rio offered water, clothing, and medical attention to migrants. My name is Tiffany Burrow. This is above and beyond anything that this organization has seen. We have doubled, tripled, quadrupled our volunteers here. People even drove in from far away to help. We brought shoes, we brought food, rice, beans, canned food. We brought clothes, anything we can get. Chris Zamora came from Westover Hills Church in San Antonio. We were not expecting this. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people. There's yeah. a lot of need here. Even Joseph, who has worked with Haitian migrants since 2015, says... It was an experience that I will never forget. I don't know how to really explain it. Customs and Border Protection says around 16,000 Haitians came to Del Rio that month. So many arrived so suddenly in Del Rio, border officials assigned them a number and had them wait in that improvised Texas migrant camp under the Del Rio Bridge for days. Sudden upticks in crossings aren't so rare. They can be triggered by natural disaster, political upheaval, poverty... But what we saw in Del Rio was on a different level. For one, this was all happening in Del Rio. 
a sleepy southwest Texas border town just big enough to have a Starbucks. It's not usually such a major border crossing point. That's why there wasn't much infrastructure to deal with the influx. And it was a crush of people arriving within such a short period of time. Both volunteers and border officials were slammed. Not to mention the people in the border camp. They weren't who you typically see at the U.S.-Mexico border. They weren't from Central America or even South America. They were mostly black immigrants from Haiti. Many spoke Spanish that they had picked up on their journey. Which brings up another point. Not only was this group mostly Haitian, many weren't coming from Haiti. That's at the heart of the story we'll be telling in this podcast. It was a humanitarian crisis, but also a political one for President Joe Biden, who had taken office earlier in the year. New video shows chaos at the southern border, over 10,000 migrants cramming themselves under a bridge in Del Rio, Texas. Cable news critics from left and right-wing political camps chimed in with their spin on the spectacle. Unbelievable images shot near Del Rio, Texas, trying to corral human beings like cattle. Those were clips from Fox News and MSNBC. And there were real concerns to consider. Humanitarian concerns about how people were being treated and their access to food, water, and medical care. Legal concerns about the immigration pathway for Haitians being allowed in. Logistical concerns about how to deal with so many people. But the story about how thousands of Haitians coalesced in the unlikely town of Del Rio and what happened to those migrants after they left the camp is a lot more complex. It's a story that can be traced back to a massive earthquake that devastated Port-au-Prince, Haiti in 2010 and beyond. And takes us through South American slums, the dangerous forests of the Darien Gap, the Houston suburbs. Texas Public Radio and the Houston Chronicle spent months reporting on this story. We went to the forest of Colombia, Mexican migrant shelters. We spoke with Haitians across the Americas, in person, through WhatsApp, and video calls. The people who can best tell this story. Who can help us understand why so many people took this perilous journey. And when they got here, how U.S. border policy played such a pivotal and, in some cases, devastating role in their lives. I'm Joey Palacios with Texas Public Radio. And I'm Elizabeth Troval with the Houston Chronicle. This is episode one of Line in the Land. To understand what was happening in Del Rio mid-September, you need to know about the Cortina, Spanish for curtain. You see, here at this spot in the Rio Grande, it was pretty shallow. That's why people who were stuck waiting under the bridge on the U.S. side could cross back into Mexico pretty easily. So many people were walking back and forth that it created this line of people in the water, the Cortina, connecting one riverbank to another. It's morning, and I'm stepping on slippery concrete, wading across the Rio Grande River. Nearby, some Haitians are bathing or brushing their teeth. It's awkward to be here, 
alongside the other journalists and prying photographers, invading the little privacy people have as they start their day. People are carrying bags and shoes as they cross. Their jeans are pulled up as high as they can be. That's where I saw a young man sitting down on a paved part of the riverbank. Unlike the dozens of Haitians walking by, rushing to be somewhere else, he was just calmly sitting there. He tells me it's cool to sit down next to him. We strike up a conversation, and I ask if he'd be up for an interview. He's a little wary, but I show him it's just a voice recording. He agrees. His name is Exode, like Exodus. I ask him about the cortina, the line of people crossing the river in both directions. He says some are just now arriving at the camp. Others are buying food in Mexico to bring it back. Officials aren't giving enough, he says. His wife and son are under the bridge. This is their third day waiting. Exode says it's overwhelmed with people. I ask him about how he ended up here, in Del Rio, all the way from Haiti. How did he know Spanish? He says he left Haiti in 2018 because of the violence and the political crisis and moved to a city in north-central Chile called Coquimbo. We chat while his phone charges along a chain-link fence up from the riverbank. I ask why he ended up leaving Chile, a relatively stable country. He says he tried for three years to get immigration papers so he could stay there legally and do things the right way. But he was ultimately denied. Three years in a country without papers? It's impossible, Exode says. When he received a final visa rejection earlier in the year, it was the final push to leave and take the perilous journey to the U.S., where he believed he would be welcomed with open arms. If there had been any other way, he would have tried that. But there wasn't. Exode's number was eventually called by border officials. He was released and has an open immigration case. His family made it to Florida, where he got a job at a restaurant. Many others weren't so lucky. And it really did seem to be luck or random chance that decided these people's fates. Because while Exode and some other Haitians were released into the United States by immigration officials, for others, their migration journey took a different turn. That's coming next after this break. We're back. Faced with this humanitarian crisis in Del Rio, the Biden administration took drastic measures. The U.S. has started flying Haitians back to their country after thousands were found in a makeshift camp under a bridge in Del Rio, Texas, along the southern border. They loaded up airplanes with Haitian women, men, and children who had been under the bridge and began flying them back to Haiti. 
Now, the Biden administration says mass evacuations are underway with flights taking most of the refugees back to Haiti. They did this even though back in May, the administration had granted Haitian immigrants already in this country something known as temporary protected status, basically saying that conditions in Haiti were so bad that no Haitians should be deported back to that country. So it's no wonder why Haitians in Latin America thought it was a good time to make the journey. The Biden administration has been struggling to deal with migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. The current influx is straining resources and sowing confusion for migrants on both sides of the border. They justified sending thousands of Haitians back under something called Title 42. And it's actually related to the pandemic. The CDC essentially closed down the border to asylum seekers at the start of COVID, allegedly to keep the virus from spreading, even though many public health experts thought the measure wouldn't help. Here's Jessica Bolter, border expert at the Nonpartisan Migration Policy Institute. Regardless of whether you uh, fear persecution in, in the country where you're coming from or not, you can be expelled under Title 42. So Haitians at the camp, who had previously fled Haiti, then moved to South America and then took buses, taxis, and hiked on foot through Central America, were sent back to Haiti. That happened to more than 6,000 Haitians who were at the Del Rio border camp. And just weeks after the Haitian president was assassinated, Gerling Joseph, the Haitian immigrant advocate again. One day, the United States put a high alert. Do not travel to Haiti. If you are a U.S. citizen in Haiti, you, ha- you must leave immediately. And the same day, they sent five planes full with children, babies, pregnant women to Haiti. The same day. Haiti was already in chaos. And now the country saw thousands of returnees, many with Brazilian or Chilean children, with no ties to Haiti. The political turmoil in Haiti, the insecurity in Haiti is forcing displacement in country, pushing people to leave. And yet we continue to deport people into that same system. In all, Customs and Border Protection in the Del Rio sector sent about 40 percent of Haitians back to Haiti from September to the end of the year. This wasn't the humane response that immigrant advocates had hoped for from the Biden administration. Bolter again. The increase in migrants in Del Rio in September and the government's response to it really exemplified how caught in the middle the Biden administration seems to be. But roughly 60 percent of migrants were released into the U.S. to await immigration hearings. That angered immigration hawks. So it did really seem to be almost a a lose-lose situation on the political side of things. Word started to travel. Haitians waiting in the camp got scared. They had assumed that they would be allowed into the U.S. American asylum law actually gives people the right to ask for asylum if they're fleeing their countries because they fear persecution. They had made it all this way But then the threat of being flown back to Haiti was enough to send hundreds of Haitians out from under the bridge and back into Mexico. Among them was Dashka. Reporter Stefania Corpi first saw her waiting in the Rio Grande River in that cortina we described earlier. She'd been taking photos in chest-deep water when she spotted Dashka. 
Tension was high. You could feel morale was low and most Haitians were exhausted. For many of the migrants, this was the climax of a long, dangerous journey. And now, there were rumors they would be sent back to Haiti. Migrants were also agitated by the journalists and photographers capturing them at one of their lowest points. That's why Stefania was surprised to catch someone smiling at her. Dashka looked back at me with a big smile, almost as if she was posing. Even in that chaotic moment, with everyone moving in the water, she was standing still and strong. Dashka was headed back to Mexico with her husband and three-year-old son to avoid getting sent back to Haiti by the U.S. Stefania asked her about it three days later at a park right across the Rio Grande River in the Mexican city of Acuna. This park turned into a second migrant camp on the Mexican side. This is where Dashka and other migrants decided to move after leaving the U.S. because they feared being expelled to Haiti. The park is dry, dusty, and lacking any kind of upkeep. Helicopters fly overhead as migrants camp out in tents. I sit with Dashka looking for some shade. We're surrounded by tents put up by the people who moved there a couple of nights before. She makes jokes about the long journey to get here. She says she liked the food, especially in Panama. Like other migrants, Dashka also came from Haiti originally. She left there after both her parents died and moved to Chile in 2016 when she was just 19. Dashka asked to go by her first name only because of her ongoing asylum case. There, at the park surrounded by Mexican guards, kids are playing soccer, hide and seek. Dashka's son, Lewinsky, is crying over something all kids cry over. He's fighting over a blue car. Dashka calms him. She has a lot on her mind as she watches her son play. It's the first night they'll be sleeping in the park, and her husband is looking for a spot and a tent at the makeshift camp. We still don't have a tent, she says. She's not sure what they'll do if her husband doesn't find one. Still, she seems confident things will work out. After their family's odyssey across the Americas, they've reached a wall, a line in the land. They're both trying to make it work. Dashka tries to put on a brave face in her donated blue and white dress, but suddenly she breaks. I don't have a heart for this any longer, she says. She says when she looks at her son, a Chilean citizen, she doesn't know how to think or feel or what to do. It's all the same to me if they send me back to Haiti because it's my country, she says. But for him, no. My son wasn't born there. If he goes to school there, 
She fears he won't come home alive. And even in the camp in Mexico, there's no assurance they won't be sent back to Haiti. In the Mexican camp, immigration agents take pictures of the migrants and ask them to add their names to a list. Dozens of armed security guards control both sides of the river. Despite their presence, kids laugh and play. Children don't understand anything, Dashka says. That's why they feel happy. Suddenly, another little girl at the camp says, He only wants to play, the five-year-old tells me. We've talked about what makes this story unique. Covering this, it was striking to see how young Haitian families were. Parents in their 20s and 30s, pregnant, with toddlers, their lives ahead of them. That's also why decisions in moments like this weigh so heavily. These Haitian parents are making them with their kids' futures in mind. The decision whether or not to cross back into the U.S. and whether to start a life in Mexico weighs heavily on Dashka, especially as she thinks of what's best for her son. Is staying at the border camp on the U.S. side worth the risk of being sent back to Haiti? For those who stay in Mexico, what does life look like there for a Haitian Chilean toddler? And what was the rationale for the U.S. to let some Haitians in and send others back to Haiti? In this podcast, we'll see how Dashka's story and others play out. How they're faced with impossible decisions, dealing with larger forces, politics, poverty, disaster, pushing and pulling them across the Americas. And in our next episode, we'll look specifically at why so many Haitians first immigrated to South America. How did a far-off nation like Chile end up being a Haitian destination? Here's Eugene, who you'll meet in our next episode. When he first arrived in Chile, he says the cold hit him in the stomach. That's when he knew he wasn't in his country anymore. That's in the next episode of Line in the Land. And that's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Line in the Land is reported and produced by Elizabeth Troval, Sofia Sanchez, Stefania Corpi, and Joey Palacios. Their editor is Alyssa Barba. Cultural competency assessment by Miriam Chassi. Sound design and music by Jacob Rosati. Audio mixing by Bennett Smith. And special thanks to Dan Katz, Lily Thomas, and Maria Reed. Line in the Land is a production of Texas Public Radio in collaboration with the Houston Chronicle. You can find and follow the show and binge all the episodes in season one on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
The Times is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Katra Rosalia, and David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistants are Madeline Amato and Carlos DeLuera. Our intern is Surya Hendry. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Kathleen. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba El Urbani, and our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this madre. Gracias. <laughs>